We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, a radio.com Sports Station, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. It might be snowing outside, but inside the clubhouse right here on 670 The Score, we are talking baseball, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. I am David Haw, joined by Bruce Levine. We are talking baseball. Yeah, I know it's mid-January. doesn't matter. Yeah, I know there's a labor impasse and they're not talking and they're not making sense, but we are talking White Sox. We are talking Cubs because this is a big day in the sport. This is the opening of the international signing period, Bruce, and that is a big day and a big deal, and both teams already have made news today. Good morning, buddy. Good morning, sir, and uh, again, uh, as you said, uh, inside the clubhouse, all about baseball, 52 weeks out of the year. Every Saturday from 9 to 11, David and I will be talking to you about the game, whether it's on the field, off the field, Uh, We bring you the top guests, top information. And uh, as you said, David, today is the International Draft Signing Day. Um, It starts January 15th. It goes till December 15th of 2022. And we will have Jesse Sanchez of MLB.com to uh, explain uh, some of the rules. And we will do that as well. And also some of the top players and one that for sure will be signing with the Chicago White Sox here. Probably announcement early next week, David. Yeah, that's big news coming up, and we will definitely um, discuss some of that and get into some of the details. We've got a big show today. You mentioned uh, Jesse Sanchez from MLB.com. His ticker, uh, his his Twitter feed looks like a ticker. All this news coming out, the team signing this and that, it's a lot of news. You want to talk to him at 9.15. Jason Stark from The Athletic, he is – as good as they come in terms of baseball reporters nationally. And also, we'll hear from John Lester, who had a terrific interview this week with Parkins and Spiegel. John Lester, the former Cub, the former Red Sox uh, pitcher, retired this week, announces a retirement, taking the victory lap, and he deserves it. We'll talk about that. We'll also hear from you, 312-644-6767. Who are your best and worst Chicago free agent signings, Cubs and White Sox? John Lester, obviously, will be mentioned among the best but I think that also makes us wonder about who are the worst. So throughout the show, we'll have a segment or two devoted to that. But let us know when you text or call us what you think because your input matters as well. Bruce, let's start with the White Sox. Oscar Colas is the guy. There's an announcement that will be coming next week, we think officially, but it's already out there. The outfielder who we have been waiting for, Cuban Otani, as Molly has referred to him, apparently came to terms with the team $2.7 million 
He is the number five overall prospect in the international pool today. What do you think the White Sox are getting in an Oscar Colas? Well, you're possibly getting, David, the next Otani. Because uh, Oscar Colas is also has a magic arm. Uh, even though he's a right fielder by trade, he's also a pitcher. According to my sources, uh, the White Sox are probably going to have him concentrate on just being a power-hitting, left-handed, hitting right fielder for them. That is what they're looking at. Age 23, out of Cuba, hasn't really played much over the last year and a half uh, due to the fact that many of the Cuban players uh, must uh, come over and uh, then all of a sudden they are uh, kind of... uh, people that are uh, either in the Dominican Republic, they go to Japan, uh, they come to the U.S., the uh, other countries. So they have to get their um, documentation going. They have to get representation going. And by all that meaning, there's some disruption in their playing time between the time they leave Cuba and the time they start playing here. So we will uh, talk to Jesse Sanchez in just a few minutes about Oscar Colas. But this... uh, This is a signing that uh, has been uh, no secret. Uh, The White Sox agreed with him, agreed to a contract with him last summer. But because of the fact that Major League Baseball changed the signing date from July 2nd to uh, the following January 15th, which is today, uh, Mm -hmm. this has all been on hold. But the, the deal is in stone. We will hear an announcement Monday or Tuesday. It's almost a relief that that day is here because we've been talking about Oscar Colas for a very long time, and now he is in the fold. And also not to be overlooked, this White Sox also reportedly, Eric Hernandez, another outfielder, Bruce, the number 28-ranked uh, uh, outfielder, a prospect among uh, by MLBPipeline.com. The Cubs also active today, three infielders. The first one... Alexis Hernandez, a shortstop, $1.3 million. Also, Aiden Sanchez for $1.5. And Jefferson Rojas for $1 million. So the Cubs loading up on international shortstop prospects because every team trying to spend that international uh, money, the pool of money that they're allotted, and try to take advantage of this opportunity. Right. And, and it's just a, a great way to jumpstart your, your uh, organization with uh, valued young players commodities that are out there that people know about and and more importantly uh you know get ready to uh get these players up to the major leagues and what a lot of people think you know from from this international draft these players get to you within in a couple of years uh colas might be ready this year it's doubtful he hasn't played for a while so the the thinking is is that he might have to play one year of uh, minor league ball before he's ready at 23 David, he's a little bit older Mm -hmm. uh, than your normal international draft, which is anywhere usually uh, between uh, 17 and, uh, you know, 21, 22 normally. But uh, this guy uh, has all the tools, a very good left-handed hitter. And as I I said, a pitcher, uh, you know, don't put it by uh, Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams to – kind of say, well, we're not going to do this, but there's always that opportunity to uh, look at his arm in spring training. Even though we don't project him competing with Gavin Sheets or Andrew Vaughn or Adam Engel for the right field spot, it's fun to project, Bruce. It's fun to speculate. It's fun to have baseball news to to discuss because, as we know, 
there has been the lockout, which has prevented us from having trades and free agent signings and any sort of speculation that way. The other big news this week in the game, the first proposal was the economic core ideas were exchanged for the first time in 43 days. I don't know that they came out of that any closer to a resolution to this, Bruce, but in the news headlines, we'll talk to Jason Stark at 10 o'clock, but were you encouraged at all at what you heard coming out of the first bargaining session in, in way too long, but six weeks? Yeah, I'm very encouraged because, number one, David, they're talking. They hadn't talked for 43 days, okay? There was a meeting of... Uh, you know, uh, on ancillary issues, December 17th, but not by the major players. You know, that it wasn't true discussions of uh, trying to get a collective bargaining agreement done. So, so yesterday, the, the owners presented a deal about a new compensation structure for players uh, that are arbitration eligible. Up until this point, uh, David, it's uh, three, three years before you're able for arbitration and starting to get big money in baseball. Uh, there's a Super 2 system in place where the top 22% players of service time are also included in that. The owners uh, suggested they get rid of the, the Super 2 structure and uh, they, uh, they allow uh, some players who are um, in that same area to go to a performance-based system, you know, based on war uh, and other statistical formulas. Uh, players in baseball right now, they're grandfathered. Anybody that's played one game of uh, baseball at the major league level up to this point, David, they're grandfathered in to either choose the new system or the old system. So that's how get, that was presented. Yeah, that there's a lot there, Bruce, and I'm glad that you're yeah. encouraged. I don't know that I share that kind of optimism, but we can discuss it. We also are, are going to have uh, you know Jason Stark on to give his perspective as well. There's a lot of news going on, and there's a lot of stuff to get to. Also, the John Lester uh, perspective, I want to get what you think of, of his role and his legacy, both here in Chicago, in Boston, and maybe one day in Cooperstown. But next, we have... On top of all of these international signings, Jesse Sanchez, you've seen him on MLB Network. You can watch him there, or you can see what he's reporting on MLB.com. He will join us next on Inside the Clubhouse. Welcome back Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Thank you for joining us on this Saturday morning with Bruce Levine. I'm David Haw here until 11 o'clock, talking baseball, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Sports Studios. And now it's time to welcome in a special guest, we'll go out to our guest hotline sponsored by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. That's where we find the busiest guy in, in baseball coverage this morning, Jesse Sanchez from MLB.com. Good morning, Jesse. Thank you for joining us on this busy morning. It is kind of crazy this morning, but I'm always happy to uh, time for you and time for Bruce. I, I didn't realize he's such a great singer. I was listening to those nationwide commercials. And, uh, <laughs> You know, now I got something to, take, to give you a hard time about when I see you here in the background in Phoenix. Hidden talent. Looking forward Jesse. to it. Yeah. yeah, looking forward to it, Jesse. So, Jesse, let's yeah. start with the, the big headline in Chicago. Obviously, we have known about Oscar Colas and the White Sox for a while. It, it becomes official today, $2.7 million, I believe. What are the White Sox getting in Oscar Colas, and how excited should Sox fans be? You know what, I think uh, – what this is is indicative of how important and how much the White Sox stress the international market. I mean, you can look up up and down their roster 
the big league roster, you can look in their minor league system, and you can see, you know, the international impact. Uh, Cola has the potential to be one of these guys. You know, he's six foot one, two hundred and nine pounds. The last time I checked, he could be even uh, uh, bigger. Now, uh, what happens a lot of times is they continue to work hard, they continue to improve, uh, get better on the field, get better in the gym. Um, but he's he's a guy who can play all three outfield positions. At one time, he was a guy. I referred to, and I think we all kind of referred to him as a Cuban Otani because he pitched. He pitched in Cuba. He pitched in Japan. Um, he has a good arm. You know, he was throwing 95 miles per hour. So when you do that and then you're showcasing for teams, people are going to think that you have that in your arsenal. But the reality is uh, he's made the shift to full-time outfield. He's no longer be pitching. But uh, he's a good left-handed hitter, and he can get it. And uh, – he can hit the ball hard and with a power. And uh, I think White Sox fans, when the club makes it official, I think uh, you have another international person to follow, to keep an eye on. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Jesse, I promise not to sing uh, until you're off of uh, the show. So I-, I won't scare you with any more singing. But uh, we appreciate you coming on. I know this is a hugely busy time for you. And could you please explain the plight of the Cuban players who defect and have to come over here. And like, for instance, in the case of, of Colas, uh, there, there's no real record of him playing over the last couple of years. Explained, showcasing, explain what Cuban players have to go through to be able to even get to the United States and, and play here. You know what? I think all Cuban players, um, I think the White Sox fans are really familiar um, with Cuban talent historically and even up to modern-day roster. Uh, but most recently, Cuban players, they have to defect. And part of the process, it's, it's actually a long process, but the process, you know, if you defect and the, then you establish residency in a country outside of Cuba and outside of the United States. And once you establish residency, you can petition Major League Baseball to become a free agent. And once you become a free agent, that's when you're allowed to start showcasing for teams. So it's, it's several extra steps that other international players don't have to do. It's several extra, you know, uh, it's, it's stressful. It's hard on the players physically, emotionally. They're leaving their families behind. I think we all know how difficult that can be. Uh, again, uh, the White Sox fans and people listening in Chicago, they really know probably more experienced and familiar than a lot of fans are. Um, it's a difficult road. So the fact that the players are, are signing, starting to sign today is a huge deal. And starting to, and even what makes it even more special is they're doing it during the pandemic, you know, and there was adjustments people, teams and, and players had to make, you know, facilities were shut down. People couldn't be scouted as, as much as they were in the past. Uh, communication was much more difficult. You know, communicating via video, FaceTime, WhatsApp videos. Um, and then, obviously, the loss and death and heartache that, that comes with the pandemic. So I give credit to Colas and, you know, all these prospects who are going to sign today and through the international signing period because, uh, you know, they're taking their first step towards realizing their dream, but they're also doing it during a, a time in history where things are really challenging. He is Jesse Sanchez. He works for MLB.com all over this story today. 
the beginning of the international signing period in baseball. You can follow him at Jesse Sanchez MLB. And Jesse, we talk about Oscar Colas because we've been familiar with him for a while now in Chicago, but also the White Sox, they signed Eric Hernandez, an outfielder, and the Cubs signed three infielders, Alexis Hernandez, Jefferson Rojas, and Aiden Sanchez. Um, any of those names stand out? Any of those players could be diamonds in the rough? Uh, they're paying a lot of money to to sign these guys and lock them up, not to be overlooked just because so much focus is on Colas. Right, right. I think anytime we put them in the uh, our international top 50, it's, it's a year-long process. So we do a lot of homework, our team at MLB.com and MLB Pipeline, to uh, figure out who they are and uh, identify them and, and try to – put them in front of fans so they can follow him. Um, Hernandez, he's been compared to a, a young Juan Soto. So that's a big comparison. But you got to keep in mind, I, I actually ranked Juan Soto uh, when it, I forget what year it was, 2015 or 2016, um, as number 22 that year. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm, and uh, the one, another funny thing, I had Fernando Tatis Jr. ranked number 29. You know, he barely made the cut. Right. And I think that speaks right. to you know, the difficulty in putting a ranking on these guys, but also the difficulty in teams projecting, signing, um, trying to get these guys into their system and uh, trying to develop them into big league players. Um, so I would say, yes, I know Colas is, is getting a lot of uh, attention, uh, but Hernandez, uh, Alexi Hernandez for the Cubs, He's another guy I pay attention to, Adon Sanchez, um, these infielders. They're really athletic. And I think uh, if you're a baseball fan in Chicago, you're a Cubs fan, you're a White Sox fan, you, know, you pay attention to these names. You remember these names because these are the names that are going to make it through your minor league system. And then hopefully they're going to make it to your big league club. And another thing that we've seen over the last decade or so is if they don't make it to the big league club, they become parts of trade, large, you know, big portions of trade pieces. You know, they help your team get better by bringing back big league talent. I mean, you guys can look. Yohan Moncada was part of a big trade. My Eloy Jimenez was part of a big trade. Gliber Torres is part of a big trade. Probably Chicago, more than any other city, understands that, yes, you want these uh, young prospects to show up and play on your big league team, but they can also be traded away or you can trade for them to help your club. So, uh, you know, it's a good time to be a baseball fan in Chicago. Your clubs are, are bringing in young talent. You know, today's just the first day. It ends on December 15th. So more are coming. So I would just encourage folks to continue to pay attention, continue to, you know, follow us on a MLB.com, MLB Pipeline, and uh, we're going to try to keep you as updated as we can. That's Jesse Sanchez, our guest for the next few minutes, talking about the international draft with both the White Sox and Cubs contributing uh, to signings today. And uh, Jesse, I want to ask you about ages of players. Uh, you know, I look at this one uh, kid that's ranked highly named Chapiti, and it says that he's uh, age 20 in, uh, in some of the bio stuff. Yet there is knowledge of him having played in 2016 in international competition. How how are some of these things lined up, you know, where a, a kid is is 20 years old right now and, you know, they, they say that he played four or five years ago. You know, it's not possible he played at age 15, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, fill me in on, 
and how we look at some of the ages of players? Well, to become eligible to uh, play, I mean, if you can look at Oscar. Oscar is a uh, – Oscar Kolak, so uh, maybe we'll use his um, as an example. He's older, 22-23. The reason he is eligible is because he played under – you know, he's under age 25, and he played less than, I think it's six years of professional uh, baseball in his country. So that made him eligible. Um, For the most part, you're going to see teenagers sign who are 16 or 17. That's when they become eligible to to sign. Um, Again, the exceptions are the older guys, uh, but for the most part, some of those guys are often um, Cuban players. And it's not uh, one of the uh, kind of the hidden gems sometimes for teams, and I think the Cubs and White Sox take advantage of it, is they'll sign players who are a little bit older who still qualify, but maybe they weren't the top prospect, or maybe um, during their class they were overlooked a little bit. I think we, we're realizing and we see that, you know, players come in all shapes and sizes, but they also come at different ages in the international market. I think, well, folks do is you focus on 16 years old, 17 years old. But the reality is, if you kind of look up and down our list, um, they they can be older, especially with a Cuban player. Jesse, before we let you go, and really appreciate your time, we're fixated on, obviously, Colas and the White Sox and who the Cubs and White Sox have signed as the international signing period begins today. But what other teams around the league are maybe celebrating today, and what teams do this part of the job particularly well? You know, I think, uh, and, it, and it sounds funny uh, just because I mentioned, but really it's the White Sox and the Cubs are among the best. They are traditionally among the most aggressive. They are traditionally among the most active. Um, they're out there. I mean, I go to these countries. I go to uh, these events, and I always see Cub scouts. I see White Sox scouts. And more than that, I see the executives out there. Um, they, It's something – the, the Chicago teams are really invested in, and I think they understand as well or better than anybody that in acquiring international talent is an important part of the game. So I'll start right there with the two Chicago teams. Uh, the Yankees traditionally are really active. Um, the Nationals, the Reds have really emerged most recently. The Orioles, after years of being not as active on the international market, they have emerged under new leadership there. Um, really, we can go up and down the list. Every club is really understanding and has acknowledged that in order to build your system, in order to you know, acquire, you know, uh, fill out your minor league rosters, in order to maybe take a chance and, and finding the next star, you have to be involved in the international market. So up and down the league, everybody's in this game. And, uh, and if you're not, you're, <laughs> you're losing. You're, you're missing out. But the reality is everybody's in. Jesse, uh, we appreciate your time uh, so much. We know how busy you are here. Uh, just in closing, uh, tell, tell David and myself, uh, what, what do you think a timeline would be for, for a Colas uh, realistically? Uh, does he have to spend a year in the minor leagues uh, before he's ready to be uh, put on the major league roster and contribute? You know, I, I think that's one of those questions you're going to ask the White Sox folks after you sing that nationwide song to them at Camelback Ranch. Uh, 
know, That's but great. it's really hard to predict. I, mean, I think the, uh, you know, the plans were for Kolak to play in the winter in winter ball. Um, he might be a little bit more advanced, uh, but the reality is it's it's very difficult to go from the international signing period immediately to the big league. Um, again, that's probably a, a better question for the player development folks. Uh, but I will not be surprised at all if every one of these kids, even the most advanced, even the uh, the oldest, see some time in the minor league. Um, minor league baseball is good baseball. And the reality is it's a step above what everybody on this team has played, everybody on this list and everybody who has signed will, has played. So you have to get the minor league experience um, how much is going to be up to the club. And, and like I said, you can sing that question to them and maybe they'll sing it back. <laughs> Great stuff, Jesse. Yeah, Thanks there's always a much. Jose Abreu exception, right? There's always a <laughs> right, Jose Abreu right. exception. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jesse, yeah. thanks so much. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Have a great day. Jesse Sanchez, MLB.com, all over the International Signing Day news. White Sox get Oscar Colas. Eric, uh, we, we, they had another outfielder, Eric Hernandez, and then the Cubs signed three infielders, Alexi Hernandez, Jefferson Rojas, and Aiden Sanchez. Busy day for the Cubs and the White Sox. Busy day for, for Jesse Sanchez, who's all over this story, Bruce. Timetable for Oscar Colas is going to be the first thing on the minds of White Sox fans when they hear this news. And, and I think that's the, the good question that you asked him that has no answer. They're going to have to answer it. But I think, you know, two seasons, is that realistic? I don't think he's a guy that's going to compete in, in spring training. Is he, is he going to beat Yoke Cespedes, for example, to the big leagues, Bruce? Is, is that something that you can expect, or is it just too early to know? I think the White Sox feel that it's going to be quicker than that. Uh, I, I don't think they they sign a 23-year-old guy unless they feel that their scouts have seen something that indicates he's pretty much professional baseball major leagues ready. And, and uh, again, because he hasn't competed and has only been in showcasing for the last couple of years, um, that's difficult to project. Uh, because he hasn't been in the, the direct competition. And it takes players some time to get back, uh, get back that way. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, you can point to uh, other international players that have gone through the system, Cuban players, uh, that uh, had difficulty uh, competing right away again because they hadn't been in competition. They were just going through showcasing, meaning showing their skills to scouts, uh, hitting, running, throwing just drills and it takes a while uh to to get back to to playing and and getting used to competition again he's got a live bat right he's going to give up pitching he was a cuban otani because he throws 95 but what do you think about him doing that and how that may you know if not improve it certainly will will help his focus be more uh laser sharp in terms of his offensive approach Bruce I mean this is the guy that um is he a power hitter does he hit for average is he is he a combination of both well you know what uh I think he is a power hitter uh he's a big guy he's a strong guy as Jesse explained I think with the Cuban players the support system is so huge for the Chicago White Sox and the history is uh so rich for the Chicago White Sox, that there's a comfort level for players like uh, 
Colas who will come here and automatically fit in once he gets to the United States, once he's around uh, the other players that are on the team, that are in the organization, uh, knowing that history, it, it's, a, it's a big plus. You, you, look, I'm not kidding you, David. If he doesn't have the talent, he's not going to make it. But, but they, right. they have looked at this guy for a long period of time. They signed this guy last July, in essence. Uh, the, the draft international draft date was changed, but he was already a White Sox player in agreement at that time. Uh, it just waited until this point to uh, January 15th, where they changed the date. Uh, all these dates uh, changed because of uh, the disruption in baseball over the last two years because of COVID. So uh, th- this is a uh, this is a, a new deal here. Uh, signing January 15th. So I, I, I really believe the guy is going to move uh, faster than Cespedes has. And he played minor league, I guess the J- Japanese version of minor leagues or the equivalent of baseball's minor leagues here in Fukuoka, Japan, right? The SoftBank Hawks. Now I say that like uh, I kn- I'm familiar with it because I have actually been to the Fukuoka uh, watching them play the, the uh, back in uh, – when Sadahara O was their manager, Bruce, I spent a week watching the Fukuoka uh, SoftBank Hawks play baseball. Care, careful, about, David, careful. I know, I know. I got the dump button ready. <laughs> Cesar's ready with the dump button. But that was a, that was a week unlike uh, very memorable. I don't know that you've ever watched any Japanese uh, baseball in person, Bruce, but it, it was a great experience because of its intensity. And the quality of play, I think, is, uh, like I said, probably, uh, would it be high minors? In, in the major league or minor league baseball American uh, equivalent, would you say? Yeah, I would say it would be uh, an advanced AAA uh, in general, but but that doesn't mean that they, uh, every Japanese team doesn't have players that can compete uh, at the major league level, as we've seen with Otani being not just a competitive player, but the best player in baseball. Arguably one of the top pitchers, without question, the top right. offensive performer in major league baseball last year. So, uh, you shouldn't you shouldn't blink when you talk about Japanese baseball. It's high caliber, high quality baseball. Uh, oh just yeah, the, the, it is. The power of the game just isn't there. You know, I've watched Japanese baseball. I was there covering the uh, the 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 Cubs and the Mets in 2000 opening day. What a pleasure! Uh, baseball fans in Japan are just unbelievably attached to their teams and love the game just as much as they do here in the United States. So um, it is huge news. And for people that don't know it, when there is an international player like a Japanese player coming over and, com- and competing here, there's anywhere from four to, to eight uh, Japanese writers and uh, media people following each guy all year long, every game they play, every yep. start they make if they're a pitcher. It's incredible. So... Uh, you, you don't uh, you don't discount international players, and I, I think Colas will have a chance to uh, advance pretty quickly in the White Sox I w- system. I would highly recommend anybody with a chance to watch Japanese baseball in person to do so because you respect the quality of the game. I wouldn't necessarily, Bruce, recommend the ballpark food. That's all. I'm just not the big. Uh, <laughs> You're Japanese not a sushi guy. guy. You're not, not a big sushi guy. No. All right. Not a big I got sushi you. Guy. All right, we are going to shift gears. We will talk uh, later in the show about Oscar Colas and what he means to the White Sox and and, and some of those um, things that are possible now that he has signed with the team. But we are going to talk about John Lester and his legacy, and he was on the score 
earlier this week, and we will hear from John Lester and give you our thoughts next. Strike three call, two down. Lester making some clutch pitches. Welcome back inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until 11 o'clock. That was the dulcet tones of a Pat Hughes calling John Lester. And boy, it's nice to hear Pat's voice. Makes you think baseball, doesn't it, Bruce? And John Lester, of course, retired this week, made it official. He had decided about six months ago. He hangs it up. He goes uh, goes off, and he's not going to pitch this year for the first time in a very long time, Bruce, after 200 career victories, three World Series titles, two in Boston, one here, obviously, in Chicago, five-time All-Star NLCS MVP. John Lester, a lot of people believe that he can make a strong case to be a Hall of Famer. We'll talk about that in a moment, but I know that you developed a really good relationship with him over the years. What are your memories? What's the biggest one that stands out covering John Lester? Well, just uh, the way that he changed the the, uh, the way that the, the Chicago Cubs, uh, the front office, the ownership, fans, everybody in baseball looked at the Chicago Cubs. Uh, <clears throat> we knew that Epstein and Hoyer were going to come here starting in 2011 and try to build a championship, but not until we saw John Lester and... A, a guy by the name of Joe Madden signed within a month of each other. Did we know how serious they were at that point in offseason of 2014 to have a winner? So to me, John Lester represented a, a turn of a, a franchise, a turn of a century. Uh, you know, this is this was to me uh, one of the most important signings. Uh, in Chicago baseball history. And maybe one of the biggest in Chicago sports history. I mean, that's a good argument as well, along with Marion Hosa and, and others you, you can look at. And, and in Chicago baseball history, certainly the, the ones that come to mind are Andre Dawson, uh, A.J. Perzinski, Jermaine Dye. These are, these are names. Carlton Fisk, I think, is somebody you have to consider. 312-644-6767. We're going to talk about some of those things in the list. But, but, Bruce, I think in terms of the overall legitimacy of the Cubs under Joe Madden, you're exactly right. I mean, you go back to that – let's go back to that, that summer uh, – or no, I'm sorry, that winter after the 2014 season. I think you, know, you hire Joe Madden. He comes in, and then John Lester comes. And it, it was – did one create the other? Is Madden – is, is Lester here without John Madden? Is, is, was that something that was a big uh, sell job? Because at the time, weren't the Giants heavily involved on John Lester? Weren't the Braves in on that? There were other teams that wanted to uh, to get the big lefty. Well, when we get to uh, some sound here of John Lester, he'll explain that himself. But uh, you know, I think I think the talking uh, Joe Madden into coming here and convincing him, okay. You're a free agent. You're a great manager. You're sought after by uh, everybody because you've been de declared a free agent in your contract with Tampa. And uh, just the, the route that Epstein and Hoyer took to immediately fly down to find Joe in Florida uh, on a route somewhere, you know, with, that he was driving. And then to just sit there and converse and talk and convince him uh, in early uh, November of 2014 that, uh, they are serious about winning a championship and winning it now and laying out some of those plans about some of those great players they'd already drafted, some of the players that they wanted to sign. So 
you sign um, uh, six weeks later, you sign John Lester. You throw the gauntlet down that you're going to be a championship caliber team. What does that morph into? Morphs into a season where they surprise everybody, end up third in their division, but have won 97 or 98 games, uh, go to the playoffs, win the, uh, the wild card and a great game by Arietta, um, beat the Cardinals in the NLDS, and uh, you know lose to the Mets, but set themselves up. The Madden and the Leicester signings set up being able to sign Hayward, Zobrist, Lackey the next year, spending a huge amount of money, spending, you know, with all those signings, spending, uh, Mr. Ricketts spending close to uh, a third of a billion dollars on four guys, okay? So this was, this is what they did in com- combined with the young players that they drafted. Uh, you know, the, the Bryants and uh, the Schwarbers were coming along. Rizzo was coming into his own as a player. Um, the, the great trades that they made for Addison Russell, who turned out to be an all-star for a brief period of time and an important cog in uh, that uh, team. The, the ascension of Baez, the ascension of Contreras to a uh, three-headed monster behind the plate for the 2016 championship team. This all started with Lester and with Joe Madden. It morphed into a winning culture. And as you alluded to, John Lester joined Parkinson Spiegel earlier, earlier this week on the score, and he addressed what lured him initially to Chicago. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of things involved in that that, you know, maybe one day, um, you know, we'll be able to fully share. But, you know, I think the biggest thing for me is just the comfort. You know, I, I talk about that going back to going back to the Red Sox. But, you know, I don't I don't think if, if Theo and Jed and all those guys are with the Cubs, uh, I necessarily sign with them. I, I probably end up back with the Red Sox. Um, you know, some other factors involved with, you know, different coasts and, um, you know, other things. But um, just the belief they made me, they, they gave me was just uh, incredible. Um, the amount of confidence they had in their young guys that were going to come up. And, you know, we've all seen it how many times where a young guy is, is, you know, this big high prospect that, you know, can't make it a month in the big leagues and falls on his face. And that happens a lot. Um, but I don't think that that happened with any of their guys that they had, um, you know, so that that's pretty incredible in itself. So I, I think, like I said, the biggest thing, number one is comfort. The other number two is just the, their confidence and in, in what they were trying to do there. And I know it's not luck and it was a ton of hard work, but can you believe how well it all worked out? <laughs> no. Um, I mean, it's still, you know, we talk about as a kid, you know, you dream to, to be a professional athlete, whatever that may be, or that was my dream. Not all kids, that's, that's not necessarily their dream, but that was my dream. And, and I grew up watching guys like King Griffey Jr. and Randy Johnson and Andy Pettit and Derek Jeter. And um, I was very lucky to, to get to play against some of my idols as, as a kid. Um you know, but to to do it uh, at the level I was able to do it for as long as I was able to do it, uh, if you had told me that, you know, 15 years ago, I probably would have laughed at you. So uh, it's a really special thing to me. Um, you know, with that being said, I worked my ever-living butt off to, to do it and to, to try to do it for as long as I did. And I think that's one of the things I'm most proud of. 
Yeah, I was going to ask that, John. We we saw that work, and we're here, here with John Lester on the score. We saw how hard you worked, and I, I, we watched you evolve from the young power pitcher into a guy in his prime with everything in the arsenal into a craftier lefty on the other side of the stuff, you know, scale. It's it, it was it was amazing. What do you what do you end up most proud of in terms of whether it's the numbers or showing up as often as you did or going as long as you did? What do you walk away most proud of in terms of your career? Uh, I think you, I think you said it. I think the the showing up part. Um, you know, I just remember hearing that when I was young about starting pitchers being relied upon. If you can, you know, if in spring training your manager can pencil you in for 30-plus starts, uh, I mean, that's a huge lift off of his shoulders, uh, and let alone the organization's shoulders. So I think that's the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I took the ball every five days. You know, whatever they told me to do, I did. You know, if I needed to change, if I needed to adapt, if I needed to do something more or less, we, we did it. That was – John Lester talking earlier this week with Parkins and Spiegel. Great interview. A lot of emotion there, Bruce. A lot of perspective, as you typically get from John Lester. The one thing they also got into, which I think of when I think of John Lester and the legacy he left here in Chicago and elsewhere, is just uh, he, he was a cancer survivor. And the way that he not only, you know, that, that created this special bond he had with Anthony Rizzo, but a special bond with a lot of the fan base and his foundation and how tirelessly he worked to always – put that ahead of other things and agendas had a lot of respect for John Lester, the person before you even start to talk about his credentials as a pitcher. No doubt about it, David. Uh, You know, again, uh, I've covered an awful lot of uh, baseball players and athletes in Chicago over the last 40 years and uh, none, uh, you know, I mean, some are equal, but none surpass the, uh, the respect I have for John Lester, the person, John Lester, the teammate, John Lester, the Competitor, you know, and and those things uh, just stand out. It just, whenever I think of John Lester, the first thing I think of is respect. That's the first word, first word that comes to my mind. And uh, he he had it in that clubhouse. He had it on the field. He has it off the field. Or the way, as you explained so beautifully, the way he comports himself and uh, you know shows. Uh, respect for the life that he has right now by helping other people out. So, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a great thing uh, that uh, Danny and Matt had him on right away after he announced his retirement uh, last week. And, uh, again, uh, goes down as uh, one of the, the best players, I think, ever acquired by the Chicago, um, Chicago Cubs. Maybe not the best, but certainly you can put it in the category of the most important. Absolutely most impactful as well. Bruce, we don't have to decide for another five years, so we have five years to kick it around. But 200 career victories, three World Series championships, known as one of the best pitchers in October. You have John Lester with those credentials. You got Mark Burley with 214 victories with the World Series to his credit, four gold gloves and a five-time All-Star for Burley. Do they both go in? Do, Do neither go in? Do you take one over the other? Because it's very difficult for me to separate the two. If you had to, I suppose, recency bias because of Lester's postseason resume being a little bit greater than Mark Burley's. You might give him a little bit of an edge, but I'm not even sure I'm comfortable doing that at this time. See, my my voting procedure from now on, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a vote, and as long as I'm around, will be did the guy – 
pitcher, outfielder dominate and was the top the top uh, four or five players at their position for 10 years because no longer can you look at a pitcher and say, well, he must have 300 wins. He must have 250 wins. He must have 3,000 strikeouts. That is not uh, possible anymore in modern baseball. So in the case of Lester, Burley, even going back to Billy Pierce in his era, uh, 200 wins and uh, 2,500 strikeouts and going to the post every single time out and, and being a quality pitcher, those things are going to count when I consider my Hall of Fame ballot. I would love to know how John Lester will decide if he's able to make this decision and lucky enough to do so, whether or not it's going to be a Red Sox hat, whether or not it's going to be a Cubs hat with, uh, uh, with he, when he's enshrined in Cooperstown. Because I Oakland think A's. That, I think it's the Oakland, Oakland A's. Well, how about Bruce? When you go to baseballreference.com and you look up John Lester, he's wearing a Cardinal hat. Can somebody fix that, please? Because he's not a St. Louis Cardinal. I know it was a short period of time and a historic winning streak, but that John Lester, I, come on. You Billy. just hit on it. Everywhere he went, everyone got better. Everybody competed, okay? That is the essence of John Lester, the winner. And we will get into where John Lester is in terms of the Chicago all-time sports signings later in the program. But next, we are going to take a trip into Starkville. Jason Stark, the fine baseball writer for The Athletic, we are lucky enough to have him join us next inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. 